This morning's scripture reading comes to us from the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, verses 1 to 10, which is on page 95 of your New Testament portion, if you're reading along in the pews, and if you're at home, as ever, I don't know which Bible you have, but it's in the first three books of the New Testament. Let's listen together for a word from God. Now, all of the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what if a woman having ten silver coins, if she loses them, one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over even one sinner who repents. The word of the Lord. back in Luke where uh, I've been spending time with the congregation in the uh, Sundays of the month of August and now here in second Sunday in September we find ourselves in one of the more famous well-known chapters of Luke because chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke includes at the end of the chapter the last half the famous story of the prodigal son or the father and the two sons um, and so I think it's fair to assess just by that famous parable itself that Luke 15, which we're looking at here this morning, is really a, a, a chapter in Luke's gospel about relationships, about broken relationships, and about relationships restored. All of us have experienced both. Think of that father waiting for the wayward son who has squandered all of his, after demanding and insulting the father so terribly, has squandered his inheritance, which he received before his father even died, on wine, women, and song. And yet the father waits by the window every day when he finally sees his son, who has had a change of heart, coming home with a speech ready to uh, say how sorry he was to his father. The father doesn't even let him speak. He runs out and embraces his son in a, in a really moving moment of a relationship restored. I thought about that this past week when I was home in Seattle uh, taking part in a funeral for one of, my, 
one of my aunts, a beloved aunt who was 96 years old, a great life to celebrate and a lot of memories to share. Um, I saw relatives, uh, and I saw their children, and I saw their children's children. I can't believe my cousins got so old. I don't know what happened to them. Uh, and I saw some old friends, high school friends uh, and college friends, and stayed with one of my best friends from college out there. Uh, you know, when you greet someone you haven't seen in a long time, who you know pretty well or used to know pretty well, uh, if you're a guy, uh, there's always that question, do I shake their hand or do I hug them? Is there more necessary in this moment? I don't know if you guys are like that, but there's sort of that moment. And I just decided last week I was so happy to see these people I love so much to be, to be a hug fest, right? Uh, and just to, you know, even if it's a, some cousin's kid who's not sure who I am, this minister, older cousin, I just grab their hand and yank them in and different, right? Hugging. Um, it is special when you are so glad to be reunited with someone that you love. Let's pray. Loving God, as you seek us again this morning, as you call out to us in music and in fellowship and in laughter and in sober reflection and in your word, help us to hear you. And may the meditations of our hearts this morning upon your word to us be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, and life-giving to us as your people. Amen. Take a look, if, if you would, at the front page of your bulletin and look at this anonymous painting of the second scene in this morning's reading from the first half of chapter 15 that Graham read so well. This, this incredible painting um, really brings to life the words that Graham read in Luke 15, the latter part of verses 1 through 10, which describe how this poor widow seeks out one coin in her house that she has lost. This house is typical of homes of the time, the picture we have on, the, on our bulletin this morning. It um, usually has a dirt floor in the first century. That was typical of most people. Um, you had to, to light a light because there were usually no walls or windows, just a small door. Um, and here you see the woman searching carefully for this one coin. She still has nine, but she really, really wants to find this one coin. And she looks like me, uh, though I rarely look for anything with a broom. I rarely do anything with a broom. Uh, looking for my remote pretty much every evening when I get home. I don't know how it vanishes so consistently and so sneakily, but it does. It's an amazing photo, isn't it? I think this photo, and bear with me, has a lot to do with a song by Billy Joel, who I think I understand had another one of his monthly uh, concerts last night at Madison Square Garden. I went to one of those. It is worth it to go. Here's the song that the piano man sings that I think evokes this picture, this image of a widow looking for a lost coin, or the story of the shepherd looking for the one sheep 
that has gotten lost while 99 in the herd remain back safe. The song goes something like this. Maybe you've heard it, those of you of a certain age. Billy Joel's a singer, by the way, for you young people under, under 40. Here's the song. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. If you understand it, I would argue that the uh, first half of chapter 15 of Luke today is Luke's version of that Billy Joel song. And here is what I mean. Did you see how it started? Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes, the upstanding religious people, were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, which is really a shanda, a scandal, a big sin in Judaism of the time because of the ritual purity laws. You, to stay close to God, you had to stay clean. You, you couldn't mess with that which was defiled. Um, and here, these unrepentant, blatant, bad livers, you know, the wrong crowd is gathering around Jesus and he's welcoming them and he's even eating with them, which is pretty bad. So the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders, think that maybe this popular guy who really threatens their popularity and their authority may be preaching the right way to God, but he is definitely hanging around with the wrong kind of people. And so that's what they're talking about. And that is Luke's framework at the very beginning of his 15th chapter, a crucial chapter in his entire gospel, for what comes next. The story of a shepherd and one lost sheep, the story of a widow and one lost coin out of her coin collection, and of a man and his two sons, as we mentioned earlier, which we didn't read today, the story of the prodigal son, which is probably the most famous of the three. It's important to remember the situation that prompts these three stories, these three images that Jesus gives us. They are grumbling, they are complaining, they are talking, you know, like this about him because he is consorting with the worst kind of people and he's even eating with them, giving them hospitality and a welcome. Now the word grumbling or murmuring or complaining uh, really is the same word in both the Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, uh, and the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, which is the same word that the, is used in the Exodus story for the people of Israel who have been freed from slavery and been, uh, they've escaped the, the, the bonds and shackles of Egyptian servitude through the Red Sea out into the desert and they are wandering and pretty soon they start murmuring and grumbling against Moses and against God saying, you know what, this freedom you're giving us is not not as good, certainly not as secure or certain as the slavery we were used to. Let us go back. Let us go back to the flesh pots of Egypt. It's interesting. That kind of murmuring is evoked by Luke by using the very same word used in the Old Testament. They are talking and murmuring about Jesus. And so by telling these three stories, Jesus turns the tables and talks about them. And today, we're looking at those first two of the three stories in 15 of, chapter 15 of Luke. And before we do, a few quick observations. Um, 
Both of these first two parables, which Graham read, take a look if you want, start with a question, rhetorical question, right? Which one of you, if you were a shepherd, would go, would leave 99 sheep who are safe, who are going to be good, get to bring a good price at the market, who have all kinds of good wool to be sheared and sold, which one of you is going to leave them unattended and go look for just one lost sheep? Or what woman of you, or what man, but what woman of you, having 10 coins and having lost one, you know, in the cushions of the couch, which is usually where my remote is too, are going to do everything you can, just get obsessed with finding that one little coin. Remember, in both stories, what was lost belongs to its owner. And both owners, the shepherd and the widow, expend a great amount of effort to recover what is lost. They do not give up. Irrationally, obsessively, they won't give up until they find what they are, what they are looking for. And both the sheep and the coin are more than prized possessions. And this is important when we think about the theological meaning underneath and behind what, got, what Luke is saying in his gospel here in chapter 15. Both the sheep and the coin are parts of a whole. Without them, it doesn't work. Right? They are precious, not just in and of themselves, but into a larger community, a system of life, of balance, of peace, of happiness. Without them, the whole is not complete. This is the attitude and mindset of the widow and of the shepherd. So the search that's going on here in both of these little short stories is a quest for restoration and wholeness. And that's important. Because we all get a little broken sometimes. That's another observation I'd like to make. We all get lost. At times we find ourselves far from home, far from ourselves even. And being lost, I don't know if you've ever been lost, is absolutely no fun. There's a story of a Marine talking about a field exercise that he was participating in in boot camp. Uh, his squad was on night patrol making their way through some thick brush and halfway through the squad of Marines realized they'd lost their map and they were getting no service. And so the patrol navigator informed the rest of the squad in a not very helpful way that their odds of being found before nightfall and freezing, really getting cold and uncomfortable overnight, were one, one in 359. In other words, there was a one in 359 chance that they would get back home to their base of operations before things were going to get really a lot worse. And the, someone said, how'd you come up with that weird figure, one in 359, one chance out of 359 chances? And he said, well, one of the degrees on our compass has got to be right, and that's it. But fortunately, uh, it was a training exercise. They were just in camp in uh, their training, and they were found. But we all know what it's like to feel like that. You come up out of the subway, you're not getting any service on your Waze or your Google Maps, None of us knows how to read a map anymore, let alone put it in our car, and it gets a little scary at times. Being lost is no fun. That's the strange paradox, I think, of our Christian life. 
It's really more about being lost. We spend more of our time in life being lost than being found. It's more about feeling incomplete than about feeling whole and satisfied. Just about the time we do feel whole and satisfied and at home and found, things start getting off track again. It's more about feeling excluded than included because that's where most of us live those places is where, are where most of us live most of the time because we tend to try to do things on our own. And we find ourselves getting farther and farther away from home. Which is to say, and this is really the underlying observation about our readings this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, we all need someone out there willing to look for us. Someone who values us, who believes in us, who believes in who we are and wants to bring us home. And life, especially a life of faith, is simply trying, struggling, striving every day to turn back and find our way home. And it is a struggle, but it's a joyful struggle because a life of faith really is better characterized as a life of trust, that while we're trying to find our way to wholeness and to find our way back home, which is important. The much more important good news is that there is someone searching for us, waiting for us, seeking us out, ready to burst out of the front door to run to us. And before we can even say our prayer of confession, which we've carefully crafted, ready to burst out and wrap us in this giant bear hug of welcome and acceptance and grace. That's what this table is. It's a moment of embrace when we come. It's a moment of reunion, of restoration, of wholeness. So a life of faith, and this is what we try to teach our kids and have them experience in confirmation and in Sunday school and in mission service, a life of faith isn't about being good and, and believing the right thing so that we can get to heaven one day. It's about trusting that someone is looking for us, that someone loves us. That's it. That changes everything when we have that deep certainty in our hearts. So we keep turning back to God. We keep turning back toward home. That's all repentance is, by the way. The word repent, confess, simply means turn. Go back in the right direction, the correct direction. Back to the God who is looking for us, looking to embrace us, welcome us. Sometimes we help other people. That's what a community of faith is. We help other people go back in that direction. That's what teaching is, nurturing, counseling, pastoral caring, being a parent, being a, an adult uh, who cares about the kids of the congregation just like we care about our family. And sometimes on the journey home, we are carried by someone else. But all the time, it's that movement toward wholeness and restoration, toward being included again, whether we are a lost coin, a lost sheep, whether we're one of the two sons, whether we're who we are, just coming home. Big, the big point of today's readings is that they all end, if you look closely, in joy, in celebration, in happiness. This guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. There is murmuring and grumbling, but there is this moment of embrace of hugging, of acceptance, and then there is this incredible celebration because what was lost has been found. 
You know, shepherds in the first century had acquired uh, kind of a bad reputation. They are a strong and positive image in the Old Testament. God actually is imagined in the book of the prophet Isaiah as a good shepherd who tends and cares for the sheep. But by the time the first century came around, shepherds were kind of lumped in with tax collectors, uh, camel drivers, uh, gamblers with dice, you know, sort of unsavory professions. So uh, it's kind of a zinger that Jesus uses that image as he gets, as he, you know, counters what the, Fer- the Pharisees grumbling and complaining about him. Uh, and not only were shepherds unsavory, in the story Jesus tells the shepherds unreasonable. Who would leave 99 to go find one? Because you might lose the 99 if a wolf showed up while you were out looking for that one. It is not good business. It's not rational to search for something with so little value like that. And yet that is what the shepherd does and that is what the widow does. And by implication, Jesus is saying that's what God does. That's who God is. Especially if we are that lost coin or that lost sheep. Amen, amen. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven for one sinner who comes back home than for the 99 who don't think they need to change anything, don't need to change their direction. More joy when the widow finally moves that ottoman or that dresser or her bed mattress and finds out that that is where that little coin was the whole time. And she calls her friends and neighbors and throws a party. Again, this is not reasonable or rational behavior. Nobody ever accused God of being reasonable or rational, only loving, only faithful, only persistent, only steadfast. Chesed is the Hebrew word for God's steadfast love, not just love, Steadfast, committed love, which makes God seek and find the lost. We cherish what is lost, don't we? Uh, when, you know, if you think about all the fires raging in California and other parts of the country, my home state of Washington and New Mexico and other places, when you hear stories, people don't run to get their tax records or even their checkbook. What do they get? They get photos. They get the things that they can't lose, their sentimental value. Um, our pets again we do irrational things for these animals that we love so much we cherish what is lost as human beings and we rejoice when it is found especially when we are reunited with people we love and so does God who reaches out to each one of us into the world in Christ God rejoices in the restoration through Jesus Christ of the fundamental relationship of our lives the relationship that gave us life in the first place. And it's the only one that can give us the life we were born for as we live it. There's an old story that I think is still funny. Uh, the phone rings and a little boy answers in a whisper. Hello? And the caller says, hi, uh, is your mommy there? Yes. Can I talk to her? No. Why not? She's busy. Oh, okay, what about your daddy? Can I talk to him? No, he's busy too. Well, is there anyone else there? My little sister. Uh, is there anyone else there, an adult? Uh-huh, the police. Uh, can I talk to one of them? No, they're busy. Well, is there anyone other, are there any other adults there? Yes, a lot of firemen are here. 
Well, can I talk to one of them? No, they're busy too. Good heavens, the whole family is busy? Your mom, your dad, the police, the fire department? What's everybody doing? And the little boy kind of giggles and says, they're all looking for me. <laughs> what a great feeling, huh? It's an adopted person. I really felt that when I was with my family last week, you know. These older cousins accepted my sister and me. We don't look like them. We were kind of bratty. We were younger. Um, you know, whoever started this whole thing never looked for me, but they did. And my parents did. And it's this amazing feeling to be sought, to be loved enough to be sought. Imagine that widow giggling like that little boy when she finally found the coin, or that shepherd laughing a boisterous laugh when he finally finds that one lost sheep. Again, the emphasis in Luke is not on feeling bad about ourselves and turning back to God. It's about the rejoicing God does when we are, our relationship with God is, to, is restored, made whole again. We seemed lost. We seem lost so much of the time for whatever reason. We make mistakes. We take the wrong road for, the while, for a while. We drift away from God, from our best selves. Maybe we've let people down. Maybe we've let ourselves down. And then there comes that moment where God grabs our hand and then yanks us in and gives us this big, incredible hug, this moment of embrace and relief. And I want to say today that this sense of being sought and being valued is the foundation for us as people of faith, for anybody, to go and share that love and that feeling of acceptance and value with a world which is so broken, so isolated, so full of people just like us who so often feel worthless or that nobody really knows them or cares, like they have to build their self-worth by being strong or angry or right. And so God seeking us out and rejoicing over us finally coming home and laying our burdens down lays the groundwork for us to work for peace and acceptance and justice for others, the same feeling, the same experience that we have by being welcomed home. Douglas Gay puts it well as we conclude this morning. For everyone who feels worthless, who feels no one would miss them if the truth were known, who feels they have used up all the chances they deserve, who feels like they can't be worth much or else no one would have treated them like this, here's the dream of God's kingdom, that they would come to believe their body and soul are precious, that their life is a great treasure to God, that they are worth finding, worth knowing, worth celebrating, worth rejoicing over. That's what we're telling our children and each other in the life of this church. That in Jesus, Gay says, God got down on her knees and lit a lamp and swept the house of this world and searched until she found them, finds us. Thanks be to God. Amen.